On today's podcast, we are joined by Joanna Coates. Joe will be known to most of our listeners as the CEO who led the sport of netball into a new era, an era of commercial and on-court success, culminating in that extraordinary day just over two years ago when Helen Houseby's buzzer beater turned over a seemingly invincible Australian team on their home patch to win Commonwealth gold, a sporting moment as iconic and dramatic as anything you will hope to see and a moment which turned those players into national heroes and opened up huge opportunities for a sport already blessed with large participation numbers. Modestly, Joe puts a lot of that success down to that one moment, but the reality is you need to be in a position as a sport and as a governing body to make the most of that success when the moment in the spotlight eventually comes. And that, alongside the extraordinary team she created at England Netball, is perhaps her biggest legacy. Now Joe has taken on one of the biggest challenges in British sport, having recently been named as the new CEO of UK Athletics, a sport which benefits from large participation numbers and low barriers to entry, but undoubtedly had lost its way in recent years, a sporting sleeping giant. It was a pleasure for me to spend some time with Joe, speaking to her about her career journey up to this point and what she now wants to achieve for athletics as it moves into a new chapter for the sport. We also talked about the challenges that COVID-19 has presented for athletics with the postponement of the Olympics and the Paralympics, as well as the cancellation of a number of Diamond League events, including the anniversary games. We also discussed leadership in sport. Joe's insights into what makes a good leader are particularly fascinating. Joe also gave us her views on the current narrative surrounding women's sport. And we discussed the importance of on-field or on-track success at major events as the gateway to people being inspired to take up sport. And finally, we discussed mindset in elite athletes. What makes an elite athlete different from the rest of us with reference to the extraordinary Netflix and ESPN series, The Last Dance, which charts the success of the Michael Jordan-inspired Chicago Bulls team of the 1990s. As always with Joe, her honesty and passion for sport and her understanding of its impact, both commercially and on a human level, comes across in spades. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, look, first of all, um, congrats on uh, the new role, which obviously you will come on to uh, shortly. But first of all, also thanks for coming on uh, the back page. Uh, we know how busy you are and we very much appreciate you taking the time. And um, Firstly, um, how are you? How's lockdown life? Presumably it's made up of lots of Zoom meetings and Microsoft team, Teams meetings as you try and connect your new team digitally, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I think the same as everybody else, Andrew. It's kind of, yeah, constantly staring at a screen, um, not having to get as dressed up in the morning, do your hair and your makeup and all the rest. So <laughs> I know the feeling. I know the bit, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, lots of staring at screens. I mean, my first day was a board meeting. My third day, we shut the office. So I literally, I've met probably five of my staff face to face. The rest I've had to meet virtually, which hasn't been the best thing. And then on day five, the Olympics was cancelled. So postponed, sorry, not cancelled, postponed. So yeah, very unusual start. Yeah, very new on start for, for a new role, you know, and I guess factoring in all of the other, you know, challenges that have been in your intray as well. It's, it's quite, a, quite a whirlwind start, but... Um, you know you're up for that challenge and no doubt about that can i just quickly stay with you know the challenges of covid19 just while we're talking about that um and obviously in particular the challenges for athletics as a sport um 
especially in and around the major events and competition schedule. You've obviously just announced, unsurprisingly, the cancellation of the anniversary games, which is very much the, the jewel in the crown, not just of British athletics, but also of the Diamond League as a whole. That's obviously consistent with the challenges being faced by the other major sports. But I guess in real terms, what does that mean for athletics in the UK in terms of a revenue black hole, especially um, you know, given that athletics is so well supported in the UK, you would have been guaranteed full houses at the Olympic Stadium for the anniversary games. So what is the impact of, of that short term? Yeah, I mean, it's not great. I think like so many major sports at the moment, you know, loss of ticket revenue is not a good thing. Yeah. So it's probably going to cost the sport about a million pounds. So yeah. it's not a significant amount of money at all. And then also you've got you've just got to juggle the fact that we had broadcast, um, you know, broadcast contracts that sat around that and obligations to sponsors. And at the moment, lots of our partners are being really supportive. But yeah. I'm just not sure how long that's going to last, really, because equally they're under the same pressure financially as as sport is so it's it's not great and that's why we held on right until the very last moment really but we, we couldn't hold on any longer you know it, it it we had to weigh up the safety of people coming to the event we yeah. weighed up can we do this behind closed doors which financially it didn't make any sense so yeah. it, it was a massive decision yeah because obviously as you say ticketing revenue is so fundamental for an event like that um, and that's going to make up such a huge proportion of the revenue. So it's not just a case of creating a biosecure stadium mm -hmm. and then putting on a made-for-TV event. That, that, that kind of footfall and, and ticketing was just going to be massive for, for, for athletics as a sport, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think as well, you know, we're coming to the end of a, a broadcast deal. You know, that is kind of like our, our last tv event before we take this out to the market in, in yeah. front of an empty stadium it's reputationally it's Wouldn't just it it's not great is it it just does look at what happened in doha when there's empty empty seats there you know it just doesn't look good from a tv perspective either so um no you know financially not good um what about the remainder of the diamond league because obviously zurich and rabat have also been cancelled but i think there's there's meant to be a, a diamond league meet in Gateshead in the middle of August. Do you know what the status quo of that is or the status of that is at the minute or is that is it too early to tell? I mean, again, we'll just wait for government guidance, but we're not going to postpone that or, or cancel it until we absolutely know we have to. You know, yeah. athletes are desperate for competition as well. Uh, it just depends, you know, will flights be allowed in? Will people still be in quarantine for two weeks? We just don't know the answers to those. So until we know the answers, and our ticket buyers have been fantastic. Nobody said, I want my money back. You know, we've got people screaming at us at all. So until we know, we're just gonna, again, just keep that live until the last moment, really. And probably a lot of that, again, will be down to, can we have mass gatherings? Um, and what are the quarantine restrictions around athletes when they come into the country? Yeah, I mean, we've obviously had some some initial government guidance this week in relation to um, the reintroduction of athletes into, into training zones and performance pathways. Um, I mean, presumably from an athletics perspective, you're, you're now, you know, working out ways to, to, to reintroduce your athletes into their into their. Um, their performance zones into their performance pathways and I guess from an athletics perspective it, it might be said that it might be a slightly easier um, reintroduction than for say some of the team sports because at least within athletics you can train um, in a self-isolated environment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and the point that, you know, most of what we do is outdoor. So, you know, if you're yeah. if you're an indoor team sport, that's not great. Yeah. So yeah, we're looking we're looking to reopen Loughborough hopefully in about a week to ten days time. But I mean the controls around it and the risk assessment's huge. So on a track you're probably going to allow say four athletes for an hour, then they leave and then others come in. So that we can really control. Yeah. Where you've got issues is is where you've got equipment. So yes. you know, high jumpers pole vaulters where you potentially normally have two or three athletes training that's not going to be possible because you've got to wipe down all the equipment make sure it's safe again so again you're just having to look at how you can schedule one athlete at a time for a period of time wash that entire environment down make sure it's safe again to bring another athlete in so logistically the i mean the performance team they've never faced anything like this before um, and logistically no. It's absolutely huge. And we're very lucky that we have a chief medical officer. There's lots of sports smaller than us that don't have chief medical officers. So they're having to find this information from all over the place. So it is, it's an absolute logistical nightmare. There's also the things you have to take into consideration that if you're asking someone to travel to a facility that you consider is safe for an athlete, you don't particularly want them going on public transport, nor do you want them driving two to three yeah. hours to a facility training and then driving home that's just not safe and of course none of the athletes can stay over so yeah there will, it, we will manage this and be very very strict on 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 risk you know there's probably going to be about 20 athletes that will be allowed back and that's it well i mean yeah it's just about building that protocol and, and sticking to it rigidly and, and, and religiously. I mean, just actually while we're talking about the, the athletes, uh, Joe, I mean, I just wanted to ask you about, you know, the impact of, of the athletes who are obviously building up to, to Tokyo. I mean, it's obviously right to acknowledge that the postponement of, you know, the world's biggest sports event, the Olympics and the Paralympic Games is still trivial amongst a global health crisis, but it's nevertheless a huge blow for those athletes who had training programs designed for them to peak for, for, for Tokyo 2020. How are they reacting to that, responding to that, dealing with that? I mean, I'm, I'm eight weeks in, so I don't know a lot of the athletes yet. Some of them, actually, they've been amazing. They've reached out to have a conversation with me, which, is, which has just been fantastic. But yeah. my, my overall sense from the performance team is that um, there was a sense of relief, I think, when it was actually postponed because athletes just didn't know what was happening. So I think the first thing was they were, they were all relieved that they actually knew what was going to happen. And then I think a, a sadness and that whole, you know, that, that mental headspace of, of thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I've trained for this for yeah. four years and now it's, it's gone. And what if I get injured in the next year? I'm at the peak of my career. Equally, some others might have been carrying a niggle that they thought, oh, this extra bit of time, that's good for me. Um, there could have been some that potentially might have retired and now they've got to keep going for a year. So a, a real mixture, I think, of, of, of reactions. And I think as well, we should think about the coaches because this is, yeah. you know, this is, it's not just the athlete. This is a coach that's given their life to, you know, to being part of that team. Um, so we've had to put, we haven't had to, sorry. We've put quite a lot of, a lot of support around the athletes from a mental health I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got external, we've got lifestyle uh, people, you know, within within house, and we've got lots of sports science, sports medicine, but we've got external consultants as well that help in that area. Um, I think sometimes our athletes are the last to reach out for that sort of help. So, you know, we've been constantly saying, please take advantage of this. It's here for you. 
Um, and brilliant, they, that's brilliant you're doing that because you know it, it is it is so important but in the midst of everything that is going on it, it's something that would be easily forgotten about easily something that slipped down the intray but, but it has to be brought to the top of the intray because it's so important i mean you know the, the, the impact of all of this on the athletes is absolutely enormous oh i mean i cannot imagine that the build-up to 2018 you know, if I put my netball hat on, yeah. how hard everybody had worked, you know, the physios, the doctors that are involved in this, you know, you all work for that one moment every four years. And for and that, what a, and what a moment it was. <laughs> what a moment it was, yeah. But, I just, you know, I think about the girls in that team. If we'd have turned around to them and said, it's been postponed for a year. Yeah. You know, you know what the impact is on, these are extraordinary human beings that put yeah. their life hold to be extraordinary yeah and you know they have a mindset and a focus that is not like a normal person and to take that that to be taken away from them is is absolutely huge but i must admit i think some of the way the ways that they've reacted again just show what extraordinary human beings they are it's just fantastic and, and some of them are creating some, some of them are creating oh. some great content on social media for for, for you which i'm sure is is music to, to the ears of your commercial team, you know, some of the, oh, the, the fitness challenges and everything. And they haven't been asked to do it. You know, they, they've really? just actually, they've, yeah, they've just done it. I don't know if you saw the, the one that the, the girls in the 4x100 relay did. Yes, I mean, that they're is dropping the medal down. It's classic content. It's just but, brilliant. So, yeah. They, netball, netball, they kind of challenged netball and netball did the same thing, didn't they, with the, with yeah. the, the Commonwealth Games medals, which is brilliant, I thought. Yeah, it's just, so things like that, you know, I think it just shows the strength of character for, of, of people. But um, we've put, I hope we've put as much support around them as, as they, as they, as they needed. Obviously we've got quite a few athletes who are overseas. So that's been quite a challenge because trying to keep in contact again with people who are overseas and time differences and making sure they've got the support that they need. Um, but, but as I say, I'm eight weeks in, they might turn around and go, UKA did nothing for us, but. <laughs> well, I doubt that. I mean, it sounds like you're doing a great job, but I mean, just sort of, you know, amidst those challenges, I mean, is it fair to say there's also potential opportunities? I mean, I think you mentioned a few weeks ago that, you know, having a longer lead in time to the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games, which is obviously the biggest sporting event in the world, might not be a bad thing for the sport as the sport starts to, to recalibrate. Certainly, you know, for you in terms of, you know, getting your feet under the metaphorical desk and starting to deliver some of the strategies that you have in mind in the build up to what is now going to be Tokyo 2021. I mean, that, that could be a really positive thing for the sport potentially. Oh, it, it, it completely is. You know, for so many people, it's not great. Yeah. For a new CEO coming in to an organization that needs a considerable amount of change, yeah. you can start that much sooner. Otherwise, everybody would have been focused on July. And, and I, you know, I don't want it to sound like, oh, that's a great thing then. Well done. <laughs> Joe gets a better lead into this. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. We all wanted the Olympics and the Paralympics to take place. But, but absolutely, we can, we can start making change much, much sooner than, than we would have been able to. And that's a real positive for the sport because this sport does not have years to turn itself around. It needs to turn itself around very quickly. So we can go out for the head coach position. We weren't going to do that. And that's a really key role. We can go out for that head coach position now. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got a great interim PD in Steve Paulding, but we can go out for the PD role. You know, we can formulate, we, we can formalize some of these appointments. 
um, and we can get this change plan going, which the UK Sport Review, you know, again, really positive, gave yeah. gave us a platform to make that change. So if you're looking at it in that way, we've probably been given, you know, four four months of time that we wouldn't have had. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, I mean, that, that time is going to be so valuable given, given, you know, the, I mean, the, the, the review obviously is a bit of a, a line in the sand, but obviously it's now, you know, that opportunity to, to write that next chapter, but to have that lead in period to what is obviously going to be a, hopefully a golden summer next, next summer is, is fantastic. I mean, just, just talking about, you know, the role itself. I mean, obviously I know you as someone who, who likes a challenge and indeed even without COVID-19, as you've just alluded to, you know, this role is, is obviously just that. It, it is a challenge. Um, is that the reason why you decided to, to take it on? I mean, you know, I guess the chance almost to breathe life into what is such a high profile and indeed important sport within the UK. Oh, completely. I mean, who wouldn't want this job? And I think yeah. if you look at, if you kind of look at my career, um, you know, I worked agency side, I worked within football, I've worked in a, you know, a, a real true sports governing body in netball, um, yeah. but a Commonwealth Games sport. I've never had an opportunity to work within the Olympic environment. And so exciting. It's really exciting. And like you say, you know, it is it is the the biggest Olympic and Paralympic sport. And I don't think it would have been as appealing a role if it had been in a fantastic place. Yeah. The appeal to me is it's a bit like when I started at netball. This is an untapped gem. Yeah. That that could be, I think probably netball slightly different. That was an untapped gem that could be taken somewhere. Athletics kind of has that place in people's hearts already. Yeah. It's probably been left to its own devices for too long and now it needs to be taken back to its rightful place I think and and that for me was the the challenge of this yeah um I mean you mentioned um obviously your role at England Apple I'd actually be interested to, to understand of course acknowledging you've just just started this role but to understand a bit about what you see as you know the differences between the two roles obviously the sheer size and, and, and profile of athletics is perhaps one thing but also there's those unique challenges of being a UK-wide governing body responsibility for looking after um, the often divergent interests of the home country federations in England and Wales and Northern Ireland. I mean, are those kind of two of the kind of key differentials perhaps between, between the rules? I mean, obviously one of the similarities perhaps is that opportunity to kind of, you know, transform and, and recalibrate a, a sport. Um, but there's obviously those, those big differences as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, there are so many similarities, you know, so many similarities. The main difference is, is probably what you've alluded to is that at netball, you, you controlled the sport from, a, you know, a seven-year-old little girl right through to, to somebody yeah. who, who was brilliant enough uh, to wear the red dress. UK, it's not quite the same. We have our home countries that deliver participation, um, you know, and part of the talent programme. So, Yes, it's slightly different because we have, I, I hate using some of the terminology of like the top bit because yeah. it sounds like we're more important and we're absolutely not more important. 
but we have to work really closely with the home countries. And certainly when I came into this role, that's what most people said would be my biggest challenge is to make sure that, you know, you could unify the athletics family yeah. and work more closely with the home countries. I just haven't experienced that at all. The relationship really? I've had and the working relationship with the CEOs of the home countries has been absolutely delightful. You know, I was nervous about it. I thought it'd be the biggest challenge. I just haven't felt that at all because ultimately everybody wants to deliver the same thing. Yeah. Everybody wants this sport, um, you know, to, to be the ultimate sport in, in, in this country. And when everybody feels the same about that, it's just about building a plan and a way of working together that makes sure that we all deliver that. And I've had a phenomenal experience working with the chairs and the CEOs of the home countries. You know, the plan that we're pulling together collaboratively has, has been accepted by the um, UKA board and we're sharing yeah. that with the boards of the home countries. We all equally understand our roles and responsibilities. We understand what timelines we need to deliver within. And I just haven't experienced what other people said they've experienced. Yeah, because that's hugely that's usually a positive message because you're right, the kind of the, 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 the public, um, uh, I guess, profile and mindset was that it was maybe a disconnected governance structure that not everybody was collaborating and, 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 and not everybody was on the same page. But, you know, it's great to see that, that that perhaps isn't necessarily the case. And of course, you talk about that strategy going forward. I mean, is that, is that the athletics nation strategy that you're talking about in terms of delivering that collectively? Yeah, and I think the Athletics Nation, you know, it's it's a great document, but um, you probably know a little bit about how I work. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a nicely written document is great. What I like to do is create a plan that delivers that document yeah. rather than a document that just sits somewhere and no one does anything with and it. It looks very pretty. So, <laughs> and looks very pretty, exactly. So what I'm developing with the CEOs of the home countries is um, a document that doesn't look very pretty, but is extremely <laughs> functional and will deliver athletics in this country. So that's what we're working through. We're working through actually, you know, the physical plan that will allow us to deliver an athletics nation. And it's very much around, um, you won't be surprised by this at all, about putting the athlete and the athletics family at the heart of everything that, that we do and making sure that we understand what their requirements are to have the very best experience and go back to things like having a really good coaching strategy, a great competition strategy, making sure that our volunteers are rewarded for what they yeah. do. Us appreciating at UKA that if, if the home countries don't grow participation, we don't have our elite athletes that come out the top end and you know an appreciation that actually they're doing a good job at driving participation so um yeah that's kind of that's kind of where we're at with our change plan so, so you know will that perhaps then start to see the focus shift um away uh, from metal pathways to perhaps that broader and indeed important role that this great sport plays within uk society is, is that maybe a fair statement you know maybe kind of um, a more holistic approach to how athletics is delivered in in the UK? Absolutely. I mean, what we can't do is steer away from the fact that UK sport give us a huge amount of money for our world-class programme. To win medals, yeah. To win medals. And that's what, that's what you know, UKA's responsibility is, is to do that. We absolutely have a responsibility to do that. The way in which we do that is about our culture and our, and our behaviours. And I think yeah. that is the bit that will change not our willingness to win yeah. of course 
because our, our athletes want to win. But I think I, I see some evidence that if you've made an Olympic final and you don't get a medal, you're perceived as failing. I yeah. find that ridiculous. If you are the fifth best athlete in the world at what you do, that is incredible. Extraordinary, I agree. It completely. is extraordinary. And you're probably coming fifth means you're the best in your country. That is extraordinary. Yeah. So therefore, I think there's a change around behaviours and culture that celebrate the athlete, that they don't say they've failed, they haven't failed. So for me, yes, it's an understanding that we don't just deliver a world-class programme, we deliver performance and talent. And that can only happen if the home countries drive participation and engage with those youngsters in the first instance for us to make them into something different. And so it is, it's joining all of that together. Same as coaching. I keep talking about coaching because I am very passionate that if we don't have the right coaches, we won't have the right athletes. Yeah. And we haven't invested enough in our coaching systems. Yeah. We need to address that. Um, and there is this gap between talented athletes moving into an Olympic programme from a coaching and a competition point of view. There is a gap there yeah. and we need to fill that gap. And it, it, this isn't a criticism of anybody. It's just the way the system has grown. There is this bit of a gap and the home countries recognise that and we recognise that. And therefore, collectively, we need to join up somewhere yeah. and make sure that we all have a view of the entire sport in the country. It's interesting, you know, talking about that kind of, um, you know, pathway through to to podium, you know, because obviously, you know, medals and winning medals, you know, are obviously it's obviously still very important. It, it shouldn't be the be all and end all, but it's still very important because it creates that that imprint. I mean, you think back to the 2012 Games and Super Saturday, you know, we were just talking about 2018 and that extraordinary moment uh, in Australia, which kind of captured the nation. And I remember speaking to you um, about this about 12 months ago, and you were saying that, you know, participation strategy and building a, 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 a building a participation strategy is all very well, but actually you do need to connect that to success at major events. And there's no doubt that the phenomenal success um, of, of, of netball, um, you know, was, was obviously in part driven by the fantastic participation strategies and programs that were put in place. And I was fortunate to see how, um, some of those worked in action, but equally, you know, the, the the success on the court, you know, really connected to that and helped drive it along the way. You can't really have one without the other, if that makes sense. And I remember you, you used to speak quite very eloquently about that point. It makes complete sense. And I know sometimes I've been shocked for saying things like this because I, yeah. I don't take away at all what elite athletes do. They, they are, as I keep saying, these extraordinary human beings. But when you have success at that level and it is broadcast, it is the greatest advertising campaign participation will ever have. It just is. You can't buy that. You can't buy that media space. No. But what you have to have is you have to have the right entry level for when somebody sees that, they can immediately go and do it. That one click purchase. You know, I've seen them win a gold medal. I now want to have a go. Netball got that right. You know, the entry level to netball, when you saw those girls win, you could find yeah. a club or you could go to back to netball. Athletics has no barrier. 
you know, I can watch somebody win on a track. I'm only talking about a track here um, <laughs> or, or road running. And I can I can put on a pair of trainers and go and have a go. There is no barrier. That's why this role is so exciting. Slightly different if you inspire to do long jump or high jump or pole vault. You can't exactly just yeah. go and do that. You have to find a club. But that's about UKA's responsibility, working with the home countries to make sure that when that happens, their clubs are open and they're opening their doors to everybody to say, yeah, come and have a go. Um, but athletics from that point of view, elite success driving participation, it, it, should, it, it should be the biggest winner ever of that, that relationship. Yeah, I mean, because you'll have, you know, so many um, girls and boys, you know, being inspired by you know Asher Smith and you know Katrina Johnson Thompson that that's how you know sport works that's how sport drives forward it's interesting you talk about the importance of that strong club structure certainly you know um the, the success in netball and the huge participation numbers that you and the team drove um you know over that five year period or so you know, a lot of that was underpinned by a really healthy club structure and obviously that that is equally as important within uh, within athletics because it is the ultimate gateway sport you're right you can go out and you know run and all of a sudden you're participating in that sport there are no barriers but you need then to have that strong club system to, to connect through to a pathway system but if you can get that right my goodness the, the opportunities are, are endless I mean because there's no barrier to start with there's no barrier to entry Absolutely. And if I can make one plea, anybody that is currently a member of a sports club, but their sports club can't deliver sport, please still affiliate. Yes. Because if you don't, your sports clubs won't be there when you actually properly need them. Because they are such an important fabric of of our society. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, Joe, I just wanted to to segue across and talk a little bit about leadership in sport. I mean, we've been fortunate to have a number of um, you know, leaders within the sports industry on this podcast. Obviously, you're one of those, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, you know, over the years, certainly we've worked together. I've keenly observed your leadership style. Um, I would obviously like to get your views on, on what makes a good leader, but in particular, what makes a good leader in a sporting context or a sporting administration context, if that's not too broad a question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's too broad a question. Um, I always find it quite difficult to to answer what makes a when people say you're a good leader what makes what makes you a good leader um I always turn around and say ask my staff because they might go she's not I I think there's certain things when I've asked people um why why potentially they, they have followed some of my decisions I think there's a couple of things they've said that they've often said that I'd never ask someone to do something I wouldn't do myself. Yeah. And that's very true. I I wouldn't. Um, I think it comes back to having a great plan. I am boring everybody with this, but if you have a great plan that people believe in, that's the easiest way to get people to come with you on that journey. Absolutely. If everybody really understands that's what we're driving to do. And this is my bit of the equation then you, you know you, you can't go wrong and then you just find great people to put around you you know a, a ceo i think is is like a puppeteer you know you should put brilliant people around you who are experts in what they do and let them do what they do and you you guide them through through that process um i don't think i change you know i'm the same person in work as i am out of work 
Yeah. I like to have fun. I like the people who work around me to have fun. Yeah. Um, I don't pretend to be something I'm not. I'll put my hand up if I make mistakes. But I am like a dog with a bone. If I think something should be done in a way that I think it should be done, I, yes, won't, I won't let it go. I've experienced that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I will drive things forward. No, uh, yeah, no, I, I, yes, I've definitely seen that, that in action. I mean, interesting you talk about, you know, the importance of the team and team building. We actually had Simon, Simon Dent, who's a CEO of the sports marketing agency, Dark Horses, on, on last week. And he was talking about, well, exactly what you've just described in the context of, of, of what he's trying to drive with his, with his agency. And indeed, I suppose one of the things that a lot of people have said you, you did very well at the netball was to create a strong culture, both within the business and beyond it. And of course, that allowed uh, for commercial success, but also ultimately uh, success on the court. And of course, that's something that, that Fran Connolly is now taking forward at netball. I'm sure you're very you know, proud to see that happen. But, but that strong culture really kind of underpinned everything. And I guess that's what you're going to try and deliver now over the next half a decade or so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know whether I'll ever replicate what, what we built at Netball. I, I really hope I do at Athletics because I yeah. think it was something really special, that team of people we pulled together. Yeah. Um, but there was a culture there. There was a, there was a culture there about um, we all absolutely, it came back to the plan. We all absolutely believed in what we were doing. And ultimately, yeah. we asked ourselves the question, why are we doing this? And we all sat there and we said, we're actually doing this because we want to empower women and girls. That, that is our purpose. And yeah. once you buy into that, it's very, very powerful. You know, for athletics, I'd love, you know, I'd love to think that everybody there at athletics is working there because we are helping the health of a nation. Because yeah. it is the one thing that is so kind of basic when it comes to sport that anyone can run, jump or throw. They just yeah. can. So... To me, it is about building a healthy nation, making sure that we have a healthy nation moving forward. And if you can get people really bought into something and inspired to deliver something, and goes back to saying, you know, not asking someone to do something you wouldn't do yourself. Yeah. I think you can brill you can you can put brilliant people around you, um, yeah. and make sure that they're not all the same. You know, have this real diverse mix of people, but yeah. they all have one one thing that they want to deliver. Yeah, I love that idea of inspiring an active nation. I'm sure that would be music to the ears of Tim Hollingsworth as well. <laughs> much of what, what, what you and athletics can deliver is so deeply connected to what he's trying to deliver, you know, through his role at, at Sport England. Joe, you obviously talked, um, you, you alluded to, um, um, you know, the, the, the importance of sport for females. And, and you've spoken in the past um, very eloquently about the subject of, of uh, women's sport and I just wanted to very briefly chat to you about that um, what do you see as the current narrative um, of women's sport I mean obviously we have COVID-19 so maybe we'll park that for a minute because that's obviously going to have a significant uh, impact but leaving that to one side um, you know, what do you see as the current narrative and indeed has that narr narrative developed as you hoped it would in particular, say, in relation to the major team sports such as netball and cricket and rugby and football who are trying to drive uh, women's programs oh absolutely i mean i've been involved what 10 years i suppose in, in properly fighting for um the appreciation of of women's sport um 
let's not even get started on women working within the sports environment. <laughs> I think we've got a long way to go on that one. Yes. But yes, I I think there are a, a group of people that should actually sit back now and think, gosh, look at look at what's happened in the last few years. Um, and I think we should be proud of where women's sport has got to. We're not totally there yet, but equally that that doesn't necessarily worry me too much because I think the pace at which women's sport has changed in the last four or five years has been phenomenal. And if we can keep up that change in pace over the next five years, women's sport will just be in the most incredible place. And I think when you look at it, you've got to look at it on the whole. So you've got to look at participation, sponsors coming into it, media coverage, all those different things. And if you look at some of the women's sport where it is now compared to where it was five years ago, then we should actually just look back and go, wow, something spectacular happened here. Yeah. And I don't believe it will go back. You know, I think there's a lot of talk. We're trying to park COVID, but there's been a lot of questions asked about post-COVID, will women's sport be in the same place? Yeah. I absolutely think it will. There is there is no reason, no rationale as to why it would go backwards unless men's sport goes backwards as well. But there is no rationale as to why it should go backwards because I think everybody is bought into the fact that women's sport takes sport to a whole new audience. Whereas, you know, just constantly increasing men's sport was taking sport to the same audience. We've broken that. So, you know, women and girls now want to watch sport, want to read about sport. They didn't used to want to do that. And we've changed that. I completely agree and you know, I, you know my daughter's three years old and I can also see already see her you know connecting to sport in in a way that maybe a three-year-old 20 years ago might not have done I mean it is interesting I know I talked about parking COVID in the context of the, the narrative around women's sport but of course you know we, we, we can't just park that and the reality is that it's so important that um you know women's sport is is focused on as much as men's sport when it comes to the reintroduction protocol I mean, Heather Knight, the, the England um, uh, women's cricket captain, spoke very eloquently about the concern she has about perhaps women's sport falling down the in-tray uh, as we all clamber to get sport back, you know, uh, to, to some in some shape or form over the coming months. And it's vital that you know women's sport comes along um, or, or or is or is you know, goes on the same journey as as the men's game for for the reasons you've just alluded to. Yeah, absolutely. And I know people have said, oh, you know, will it fall down because there's a cut across sport? Well, you know, women's sport still does not cost anywhere near what men's sport costs when it comes to the governing bodies and the investment they make. So when they're looking at investment decisions, cutting a fraction of the male game won't won't go anywhere near to, um, you know, the the cost of, of, of what they put into the female side of the sport but the investment back is far you know gains far more doesn't it far more exactly so i just i just do not buy that argument at all if you do the percentage invested into women's sport as opposed to the percentage invested into men's sport and there has to be a cut somewhere then a tiny cut in men's sport will make a massive difference a tiny cut in women's sport will make no difference whatsoever to their budgets so um the only reason I can see women's sport going backwards is because you've got decision makers there who never wanted it there in the first place. Therefore, they'll use it as an excuse. It's, and that um, is not right. No, I agree completely. It's actually really interesting when you, when you, when you then 
flip over and look at athletics and, and, and tennis is another example. Sports in which female athletes are, are, are in fact um, the most commercially powerful and the most commercially valuable, often much more so than their male counterparts. And indeed, that's always been the case in athletics. When I think back to you know, Lady Mary Peters, you know, winning gold um, back in the 1970s. Obviously, someone we're, we're very proud of coming from, from Northern Ireland. And in fact, one of my claims to fame is that I sort of, uh, I was going to say I know Mary. I think that might be pushing it a bit. But I've been fortunate to spend time in her, her company, and she's a hugely inspirational figure. And I guess if you fast forward um, to, to the present day, you have Dean Asher Smith on the front cover of GQ magazine this month. She's, she is one of the highest profile and most influential athletes in the UK, full stop, male or female. Katrina Johnson-Thompson probably falls into the same category. I guess it must be hugely exciting for you to have those types of role models representing your sport. I mean, there's so much that can be achieved with that. Uh, it, it's just fantastic. And it's, it, do, it doesn't kind of make me laugh, but it, it does sort of make me laugh coming from netball. And then you come here and like you say, our superstars at this moment in time, are, are women and we're looking at how do we make our men the superstars it's yeah. it's really quite, it's quite unusual but they're just fantastic they are incredible young women like you say Dina from GQ I mean she just looked spectacular yeah. but they're also incredibly bright you know yeah. they're incredibly bright brilliant young women and young men um and we need to make the most of them. You know, we need to re-engage with them so that yeah. they, you know, so that they... They believe in what you're doing. Exactly. So that they believe more in what we're doing. And, and I know they're incredibly proud to run for their country and to run, run for Great Britain when they wear the Great Britain Northern Ireland vest. But I think we have lost a slight connection to our real top athletes. And it's yeah. really important to me that we get that connection back. Really important for me. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, you know, you you produced, I think, a couple of months ago, a fantastic piece of content with uh, Katrina Johnson Thompson meeting um, Lady Mary Peters, and it was just it was just beautifully calibrated. And it was a kind of a connecting of of two generations of 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 you know what is a great sport and what is a great discipline within the sport, you know. And that for me is so is so inspirational. It's so inspirational for. You know, likes of my my daughter coming through and getting interested in sports, so in, inspirational for for the next generation. And you know, the, the importance of the role that those athletes are going to play, you just can't be can't be overestimated. No, com completely agree. And yes. the other thing is, they're so relevant. You know, they are so relevant to a younger audience now. You know, they just everything about them, the the way they the way they run their lives, their commitment to what they do their presence on social media, you know, just everything that they do is so relevant to young people. And we need to make sure that we put them in environments where young people see them. You know, I think it's a real key thing for us is, is to grow the audience of athletics and make sure that it, it, it retains that younger audience. Um, because a lot, a lot of what I'm seeing is that our audience is becoming an aging audience, which is yeah. just ridiculous when we've got these young, amazing superstars. So I think there's quite a lot of work that needs to be done around that, about making sure that a younger audience appreciates athletics. Absolutely. I mean, that's a challenge for, for all of the, the, the major sports, um, you know, not just athletics, that, that you know, ability to, to re-engage with the next generation, that, that the demographic who, who, you know, say consume content, um, you know, through different platforms who might actually engage with, with you know, 
esports athletes or gaming game gamers and things like that you know you want to kind of reconnect to that that demographic and that's so important and the likes of you know dina and katrina are, are kind of you know key assets in that regard completely yeah completely don't get me started on esports though. no no do we? we'll, we'll, we'll do a podcast <laughs> on esports with you next week joe i know you've got some very very strong views on, on that particular entertainment product <laughs> indeed um so um just finally um we like to ask all our guests to name or suggest a book or a podcast or an article or, or any piece of content that they've enjoyed or got something from. It, you know, it could be during the self-isolation period. Um, and, and I guess um, you would recommend our listeners consuming or, or listening to, and it can be anything, sport or non-sport. I just wondered if you had anything that you wanted to throw out there. Oh, I, I, I do, but I think you're going to be a bit disappointed, really, because... Um, I've I've been so busy with this job, kind of reading books and things like that. I just haven't had time to do. So I've sat in front of the telly at night and I have been absolutely hooked to the last dance. Oh. The Michael Jordan job. Oh, breathtaking. Can we do a whole podcast just on that? Oh. I, I just love it. He is he he's got to go down as the greatest sportsman ever. He's just greatest athlete of all time. Unbelievable. And the way he's criticised in it as potentially, you know, being this figure who was quite angry and shouted at everybody and all the rest of it, he's just yearning to win. Yeah. Was it's the mindset. It's the mindset. But this is the thing, you know, he's criticised, but it's a mindset that, you know, I guess us mere mortals just, just you know, don't necessarily understand because because that is what it takes to perform yeah. consistently at that level his athletic prowess and ability is is unique and remarkable but what created michael jordan was so much more than that it was it was the mindset that he had within him and it was fascinating it is fascinating to watch how he interconnects with you know dennis rodman and scotty pippen uh, and the, the kind of lesser well-known members of the team in terms of how he you know, to a degree, kind of manipulated them to come on the journey that he was on. Absolutely fascinating. And the frustrating thing is, I've got a because I I binge watched it all in one go, and then oh, I, no. I can't wait till next week for the final two two episodes. But it's um yeah, I'm glad you said that. Actually, oh. you're the first person to say a a TV program, but actually, I'm surprised no one has said the Last Dance before. Oh, it's some of the greatest television I've I've ever I've ever watched. And when you talk about great leaders. Oh my word! If he wasn't on that court, they didn't win. No, simple as that. Maybe people didn't like his style, but they they did not win. And I thought what was lovely was the vulnerability when he does break down and cry. Yeah, that you know. But yeah, one of the greatest things I, I could sit and just watch it again. I know. I, I loved how they, um, you know, showed his the importance of the relationship he had with his father, and then obviously oh. when his father died, he then went and. Had a good baseball, and the fact is, he was actually really good at baseball as well. <laughs> you know, through sheer force of will, through sheer force of mindset. I mean, it was quite extraordinary. I do love Scotty Pippen, though. I think oh, me too. Such it's a brilliant. Cool role. Yeah, um, just brilliant. Know. But it was, I mean, that that kind of that, that '90s Bulls franchise is one of the greatest kind of sporting teams of of well in the history of sport, really. And it yeah. was made so much better by the by the sheer force of the personalities involved. Completely, and the suits. What were they? About? About? <laughs> I was like, I was 
I was thinking, I was watching that with my wife and I was thinking, did we all really dress like that in the 90s, in the mid 90s? And actually then I look back at some university photographs because I was at university in the late 90s and to be honest, yeah, we kind of did. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe not bad. as big as Michael, Michael Jordan's suits, but you know, we did have some pretty ill-fitting suits back then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that did make me laugh. But what a great show that is! Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh, I'm glad you said that. It's, it's, it, yeah. The, my entire team is a massive fan of it as well. So it's, it is really the talk of the, the sports industry, and of course, it's beautifully timed by uh, Netflix and ESPN to release it around this time. I think they'd actually planned a later release, but you know, it's, it's driven so many eyeballs. You know, not least because there's no live sport to watch, and everybody is talking about the last dance. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I, I endorse that recommendation. Um, so thank you so much for for taking the time. Um, you know, look, we indeed I have been fortunate to work with you over over the years when you did such a fantastic job. Um, you know, turning netball into, in my view, a sporting powerhouse. Um, we have no doubt you're going to do an incredible job over the next years at um at uk athletics it's a really big challenge but there's no doubt that you are yeah the right person for that challenge and, and i say thank you so much for, for taking the time and joining us this afternoon and of course you know look after yourself stay safe and well thank you very much pleasure thanks for listening to the sheridan sport Backpage podcast you can follow us on twitter at sheridan sport and also subscribe to our back page blogs and previous podcast episodes. You can also share ideas and connect with us individually on Twitter and LinkedIn. Feel free to get in touch with one of the team. Andrew, Dan, Chris, Johnny, Alex, Sarah, Ryan and L. Finally, the Backpage podcast is powered by Milestone, a mental health charity aimed at tackling setbacks through sport and in turn helping to normalise the conversation around mental health. To learn more about Milestone and its aims and how you can get involved, visit teammilestone.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at milestone.uk or Twitter at milestone underscore UK. Thanks for listening.